Streaming May 23rd only on BET Plus. Miss Pat is back. I'm excited. <laughs> and it's time for some grown ass family time. I am a man. Oh, you a man? That's right. Then take my clothes off. You ain't pay for none of that on your back. Dad, you can't ignore your mother forever. I've tried. Would you like me to backhand you again? The Miss Pat Show. Streaming May 23rd on BET Plus. To sign up and learn more, visit BET.plus. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What a delightful episode we have of UFC Unfiltered today. We have the great Daryl McDaniels, DMC. Fantastic, open, honest interview. We have Holly Holm calls in. And uh, if you don't like dirty language, you might want to turn it off now. Because so far we've been good. But this is about as long as we go We're without not making, saying I'm not making any bad. promises. I f***ed that whole thing up for you. No, you didn't. You just, you just cursed. They're going to have to beat that. He said UFC and Digital Media present UFC Unfiltered with Jim Norton and Matt Serra, powered by Digital Media. Find your voice. And now, your hosts, Jim Norton and Matt Serra. All right, now once again, I have to find a way to start that isn't saying Jim Norton and Matt Serra. The third time, <laughs> it's redundant and irritating. And special, special, special guest... Oh man, I'm, this is this is uh, our an first in studio guest. Uh, it's, oh, and and look who it is, Daryl McDaniels. Yes, DMC, hey. DMC, hip hop royalty. DMC is uh. in the place to be. How many of these oh, interviews are you man. doing? You're promoting your book and you're promoting uh, a, a new, new music. song, yeah, 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 yeah with yeah. Uh, Rob Dukes. Yes. How, many, how many of these are you doing these every day, all day? Yeah, just, I've been sick for the last week. I started doing interviews last Tuesday, and then I got the sniffles. <laughs> and plus, I'm doing shows and appearances, and I'm also doing comic cons. I have a comic book out, a graphic I'm, novel comic book that holy, I put out. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I, we got, I gotta delve into that. Yeah, That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I didn't know you were into comics. Yeah, that was my first love before music, before hip hop, and before <laughs> rock and roll. All I did was collect, read, and draw comic books. A- anything in particular was your favorite growing up? I'm a huge, a huge. Co- oh, I'm a, a Marvel. Marvel. I'm a Marvel Big guy. Because Marvel was New York City. Yeah, exactly. DC was cool. Yeah. You know I'm saying Batman, Superman, Flash, but um, Gotham in Metropolis is fictional. A hundred percent. Stan Lee had superheroes running yeah. around New York, <laughs> so right. you, you, yes. you saw the lower Queens. east side. Yeah. Spider Man was from yes. Queens. Oh shoot, yes. I'm from Queens. <laughs> so it was like a relationship right oh, there. That's so the great. Yeah. Man. I Comic not books. Know. Um, what was your favorite one? Whole fan, uh, Hulk. Captain America and Spider-Man in that order. Oh, that's okay. so great. So it's the whole foundation for my whole presence musically because Marvel also taught me that, um, you know, you, 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 you use an adjective to define yourself and then you name the character. Like the amazing Spider-Man, the incredible Hulk, yes. the mighty thoughts. And when I got into hip-hop, I became the devastating, mic-controlling DMC, the microphone master 
DMC. It's all from comedy. You took books. a powerful. See, I, I, this is where I fucked up. I, I was the below average Jim Norton. That was a bad <laughs> move. You went the smart way. You took the, the right, positive. Right, right. I took the power, you know, the positive um, representations of self awareness. You know what I'm saying? That is so great, man. Yeah, I'm such promise. a comic guy. I grew. I was so. I was. I was into Wolverine before he became uh, mainstream, yeah, before he became Hugh right, Jackman. Exactly. Because we both know that. Wolverine was 5'3 in the comic and now they yeah. got and I had nothing against you poor right. Jim Norton's looking at us like what? what's going no, on no no I remember were you in the comics? I, I had X-Men, oh, 90, X-Men 94 I had X-Men 94 the first new X-Men I am such a geek in, in that sense for I sure love. but and, it's very it, empowering it is oh I love it I, uh, comic books growing up were a huge part of my uh, who was your favorite? For sure. Wolverine, Wolverine and then The man. Punisher and uh, those were my oh, two my goodness. those were my two favorite the two almost like anti-heroes The Punisher said a key I couldn't save my family from the boogeyman, so I became the boogeyman. Oh, that's a great that's deep, line. man. Come on, right? A lot of deep stuff in comics. And yeah. you think of comics and people think Archie and Jughead, but there's no, some no. serious content. Like for a kid oh, reading sure. it, it could be violent. Oh, for sure. And- Even to the point where, um, you know, as I was going along, um, people are starting to see the Easter eggs that was always there in my yeah. music. Because um, Thor... Was the son of Odin, of course, from Asgard, of course, from a powerful, mystical, magical, uh, wealthy kingdom. So yes. I was like, okay, Thor is the son of Odin. That means Odin is his father, Loki is his brother, and this is his, his his kingdom called Asgard. So on King of Rock, I became son of Bifred, brother of Al. Banners my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniel's, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree. My mother, my father, my brother, and me. So I was always taking things. If you listen to King I, of I Rock. I wish I could beat we just had right now. We I just wish had I could DMC do it. singing King of Rock to oh, us. That's just... You remember crash through walls, come through floors. Bust through ceilings and knock down doors. Rappers don't do that. Superheroes I, do. I am. Right. I am in shock that as a comic guy and, and a huge Run DMC guy, uh-huh. I, I didn't. How did I not put this together? Right. It's all together. What the heck? It, it, was it was right. All, it, talk it was about all, an Easter egg. Yeah. I mean, oh man, that's, that's I'm crazy. so and thrilled. You, you got roots in Hollis. You just yeah. telling me? Oh look. Oh yes, I do. Yeah, oh my grandparents. Crazy. I was. I spent a lot of my holidays in Hollis. My uh, my crazy. father was on 185th Street. Went wow. to what is it? Andrew Jackson High School. Yeah, I believe Andrew told Jackson. Yeah, that's what you did. Yeah, my my wow. my uh my father grew up there. My mother grew up on 186th Street. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, is crazy, isn't it? Yep. Uh, I, yeah, we loved going there. We were there for uh, every Easter and that's Thanksgiving crazy. and whatnot. Christmas so, time. And Christmas time. Right. I love that song. I love. I, I, I bet your family ate different stuff. You didn't <laughs> eat chicken course, and collard right. greens, did you? <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. No, you don't no think but so. I love that song. I right. love that song. You can relate. A hundred percent. What happens in Hollis on Christmas? Exactly. You get um, with the ones you love and break bread, and that's it. Yeah. No, that's for sure. That's crazy. Do you go back at all now? Do you still have family? No, there? yeah, my brother. Well, he actually lives in Elmont now. Out by, oh, there you uh, go. The, the racetrack, Elmont, yeah. Belmont Park. Okay. So he's out there. Um, 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 and um, you know, my cousins and everybody's still in Hollis. So I go back. Often, like probably once or twice a week. How do people treat you when you like you know whenever somebody makes it and and becomes uh-huh. a celebrity? A lot of times the guys you grew up with no, look at you differently. No, no, they, I'm normal. Yeah, because you know it's it's, it's uh, you know one thing about Randy MC when we when we did make it, I think people globally or people locally can relate to us because when you saw me running Jay, you didn't see celebrity. We didn't carry ourselves as celebrity or above the audience that we was you know putting the music out to. You know, I mean back in the days, it's in the book too. You know what I'm saying? We had hit records on the radio. We on the corner drinking 40s with the homies still. You know what I'm saying? So when Run DMC came along, 
We kind of took away that we're special to you and we're above y'all because we're in show business. You know what I'm saying? Right. We was relatable. Whether you was in Beverly Hills or whether you was here in Hollis or whether you was in Compton or whether you was in Japan. I remember when the first time we went over to Japan, we was like, we can't believe they like our music over here and this and that and <laughs> stuff like that. But it was like, even the ones, even the people that didn't understand English, they'd be like, yo, run DMC. He's a Japanese kid. Yeah. And all they would do is just hit the b-boy stance. <laughs> so without great. saying a word, you had communication. And man. the book, by the way, let me plug the book. It's yes. called, uh, you know, Dialect Daniels. It's 10 Ways Not to Commit Suicide. Which is deep. Wow, yeah. that is very yeah, deep. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. interesting to hear. You're so, I said to you when you came in, you're such an honest guy. When you in, you're interviewed and when you write, uh -huh. you, you really, you, you, you tell everything. You tell on yourself, right. as, as we like to yeah, say. I yeah, I tell telling myself because uh, what had happened is um, several years ago, um, I found out that I was adopted at age 35. Oh, wow. And wow. everybody knew. Yeah, it was deep. My mother knew. My father knew. All my little cousins knew. Um, the teachers knew. The doctor. Even the mailman knew. So it was a secret that they kept from me. And how I discovered that was um, in it was probably like 1993, uh, Pete Rock from the uh, the group Pete Rock and Seal Smooth. You know what I'm saying? Pete Rock produced a record called uh, Down With The King. Which, Love it. which which people um which did for Run DMC what people say Run DMC did for Aerosmith when we they yes. walked this way. It kind of brought our careers yeah. back. So Pete Rock did this remix and all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying, we was respected. But now in the nineties hip hop had changed, so now we're participating. So we're back on the tours, we're back with the video and all of that stuff like that. Right when it happened, I got depressed. Something in me just said, What am I here for? Am I here just to be Daryl McDaniels, the king of rock? There is none higher. And I just did a soul search. Byford's my father. Banner's my mother. Alfred's my brother. Run's my friend. Jay's my friend. This hip-hop thing comes over the bridge from the Bronx. Changes, you know, me running Jay's lives. Now we got records out. We're touring the world. Um, you know, we, everything that Run DMC did, you know, first on MTV. Sneaker to my Adidas deal. Walked this way and all of that. And I summed up my life at that point. And it just felt like there was a void missing. So during that whole period in the 90s, I was empty. You know what I'm saying? And that emptiness led to me feeling depressed. And it Had got you been before or no? Was that your first experience with being depressed? That was depressed? my first experience with it. That was my first experience with <clears throat> and it. And how old were you around that time? If you um, I was in my 30s. Okay. I was in my 30s. And then um, it wouldn't go away. And it got so uncomfortable I didn't want to live with this feeling no more. Like on the outside, I'm running around, we doing shows, whatever. But on the inside, I was an alcoholic, metaphysical, spiritual, um, um, emotional wreck. I read every book by Deepak Chopra. <laughs> Somebody said, this is God named Deepak Chopra. You're the meaning of life, the purpose. So you know all the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I went into the section of the bookstores where all these books was at, I discovered, you know, the Eastern philosophies and Indian philosophies and um, Ekankar and the afterlife and Buddhism. So I'm reading all these books. My wife thought I was crazy. I read the Bible 10 times from start to end. You know what I'm saying? Everything and, and none of that was fulfilling. And what were I you just, looking for? Sorry to interrupt you. What were you looking for when you were reading these books? Are you looking for something that, that you go, aha, or something to make you feel better? or what Something was to make me feel better. Okay. Something to make me feel better. So make a long story short, none of that works. I was like, I'm going to end it all. I'm, I'm going to jump off the bridge. I'm going to drink the poison. I'm going to shoot myself in the head. And then something hit me where I said, oh, but just in case I do die tomorrow, 
People know the DMC story. They know first to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover Rolling Stone, first with the sneaker deals, first with the big tours. Everything that hip-hop is, they say it's because of Run DMC and Jam SJ, what we did, whatever, whatever. But nobody knows about the little boy Daryl, who's just a no normal person like all the other little boys and girls in the world. So I wanted to write a book. This was led to me discovering this. So I said, in the book, I want to say, yo, what's up, world? I'm Daryl McDaniels from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC, first to go gold, first to go platinum, all that stuff. But I'm really just mild man of Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. I was born May 31st, 1964. And I knew my birthday, but I didn't know no details about it. So I called my mom's up. Yo, mom, I'm going to write this book, and I know my birthday's May 31st, 1964. I want a few more um, details that, you know, to let people know. How much do I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? She told me those three things. I love you, I love you, hung up the phone. An hour goes by, she calls back with my, my father on the phone. <clears throat> we have something else to tell you. I'm an alcoholic, suicidal, metaphysical, spiritual, who wants to kill herself. They hit me with this. Um, we just want to tell you that you was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted and we love you. Bye. Fuck, that's how I found out. Right? Wow, by, on phone, by yeah. phone. Oh, wow. Because what had happened was I asked those questions. My mother hung up the phone and she turned to my father. He's asking now. We have to tell him. And they released it to me. And then right then and there, it was like, oh, my God, I'm not even my mother and father. So I'm really going to kill myself. And prior to that phone call, in 1991, prior to the um, the Pete Rock Down With The King record, prior to all of that, I used to drink a case of 40 ounces of Old English a day. I mean, I was so, uh, yeah, you know the 40 ounce yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah, sure. I used to, I put a refrigerator in the back of my truck so I didn't have to stop at the local bodega to get out to get my 40s. Wow. So all of that drinking gave me acute pancreatitis. So in 91, the doctor looked at me. I was in the hospital for a whole month and a half. Just and the doctor said, you got two choices. You could drink and die or not drink and live. So cold turkey, all through those 90s, I wasn't drinking. Soon as I found out that I was adopted, I started drinking again. But this time, Jack Daniels and Jim Bean became my best friend. I was drinking 24 hours a day. So the progression, the progression, away. it really did pick up like you had never stopped. It just kind of picked up from where you would have been. Yeah, yeah exactly. Going, yeah. I mean, I was able to, people was like, D, how did you drink to, how was you able to stop drinking? You drink, you die was the first thing that came to my head. But as soon as something emotional happened to me, you know what I'm saying? And my wife, yeah. she was crying, telling me. My wife named Zuri, hi, honey, I love you. Um, She was telling me, I was telling her, I'm drinking because I found this new part to fill yeah. the void. I thought the void of that I was adopted was a missing piece of my identity. She said, motherfucker, she used these words, motherfucker, you drinking because you can't handle the fact that you just found out she was adopted. Man. In four years of heavily drinking, not addressing those issues. Finally, I was, um, 2004, I was in Vegas, and I drank, um, a whole fifth of Jim Bean, straight, like it was a 40. And I put the bottle down, and I said, I'm really going to kill myself if I don't start drinking. I, yeah. I was at the point where I couldn't get no higher. So then um, I decided to, um, you know, go to rehab. When I went to rehab, they introduced me to therapy and, you know, all of that's in the book now. So when and, you... When you say when you think about killing yourself, would you ever actually say, okay, like walk to the edge and look over, well, or to be just like a, a vacant thought? Or no, no, that's what would happen. It was planned, and it was always in my head. Like I was sitting around smiling, throw all that down with the king stuff. But in the back of my head, I was in. My, I was. Uh, I would ask Run and Jay, um, what hotel y'all at? And they would tell me, and I would go to a different hotel. So I was in. A, I was all alone. One time, I remember one time we did a photo shoot. Um, I think it was somewhere in Europe or South America. I don't remember. And we had access to the hotel roof. 
And I remember I, we was on like the 22nd floor where our rooms is at in the hotel. We're going to leave the door open so you could come up and down. So we did the photo shoot. And it was like be in the lobby at 7.30 for sound check. And I remember I went back to my room and went even in the rooms. I ran back upstairs to the roof because the roof didn't have no barriers. This was yeah. like in South America somewhere. And when I go to speak to kids, I always keep it real with them. And um, I always tell a story. I went back to the roof and I looked down. And the only reason I didn't jump, this is true, and the kids love it when I tell her, thank God I didn't jump. But the only reason that I didn't jump, I said, if I jump and don't die, it's going to hurt. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Yeah, Because yeah, it's exactly. going to hurt. So, but that made me say, why am I thinking like this? You know what I'm saying? But what had happened to me was when I first started feeling those feelings in me, what's going on inside of you internally manifests itself physically. Um, right after Down With The King came out, I started to lose my voice. And I went to a million throat doctors and they could not figure out your vocal cords look good, this and that, rest your vocals. None of that was um, working. And I was diagnosed with this thing called spasmodic dysphonia. And what that is, is it's, um, it's a um, contraction, constriction of your vocal cords. Now, here's the deal, though. Imagine, I'm an alcoholic, suicide, a metaphysical, spiritual wreck. I want to kill myself. I just found out that I'm adopted and I'm losing my voice. So I go to the throat doctor and they come in the room and, you know, with the pads and everything. Okay, we've diagnosed you with spasmodic dysphonia, but we would, don't really want to tell you this. And I'm like, okay, what else could go wrong? I'm like, what? Well, there's two types of spasmodic dysphonia. There's abductor, A-B, and adductor. Could David constrict in or constrict out? But we're sorry to tell you, son, that you have both of them. Oh, shit. So, yeah, everything <laughs> was wow. going wrong for me. And this what's significant about that is this is in Run DMC's reemergence. In the 90s, um, a, a DJ named Jason Nivens did a remix of our first record. It's like that. And it was a big hit for us. So here we are back up on top again. I got this void in me and everything is going wrong in my world. But I got to the point where I was thinking, man, it's like a fighter that can't fight no more or a basketball player that can't play ball no more. Without my voice, I am nothing. But that's not true. Maybe you never rap again, but you still have value. But I let myself to believe I can't rap no more. I'm losing my voice and I'm very uncomfortable. I started to believe that I was worthless. And when I... When I looked at myself and said, yo, I can never rap again, but I got a wife and son that loves me. Yeah. That's the most important thing they ever had. So when I decided that I was worth something, because I'm worth something to these people, even if I never make another buck again, when I decided to start healing myself through therapy and all of that, things started to make sense. Now, did that therapy start in rehab? Is that when you it started becoming clear to you and that's when you oh, decided to make the that's book? That's a great or? question. I found out that I was adopted, which made it worse because now nobody around me is adopted. Yeah. So they didn't understand what I was going through. Even Run said, motherfucker, suck it up. Bifurn and Ben is your mother and father. And I'm like, I know that. My, my adopted parents is my mother and father. Yeah. But this revelation means something. Dude, I could have another mother and this and that and father and this and that. So Run and Jay didn't understand me. So I started to alienate myself yeah. from, from everybody and stuff like that. But what had happened was when I met somebody that was adopted, I met um, a lady named Sheila Jaffe, who is the casting director for the Entourage and the um, um, uh, um, Sopranos. And she, she was adopted too. And she, um, she was doing a search for her adopted parents, but kept hitting the dead end. So to make a long story short, we got together and um, she told me, um, you know, once a week we have an adoption anonymous discussion. And I'm like, what's that? Adoptees just go in the room, no destination, just talk. 
Remember I said this is just about feelings, letting out how you feel. And we, we went into these meetings and then I discovered they was like, Do are you curious about finding your um birth mother? I was like, No. And they was like, You should. You know, deep down. I said, Nope, I don't need to know. Byford and Banner's my mother. I have a record about them. But then deep down inside me, um, something was curious, like, you know, what is the real beginning to my existence? And the only reason I did the search, which led me to get into therapy, was a famous adoptee who wasn't celebrity famous, but famous to us adoptee said these words. She said, the reason why an adoptee should do the search for their biological parents, two reasons. Medical reasons is huge, but the main reason you should do the search is you never start a book from chapter two. So I was living my life from chapter two. And at the time that my career started to revolve itself, God, Yahweh, Buddha, the Almighty One, the All-Powerful, and it was the universe telling me, we got to let this guy know his true beginning. I thought it all started in Hollis, Queens, New York. Not knowing it started in Staten Island when I found my birth mother. But the therapy question was this. When I started doing the search for my birth mother, those emotions was too much for me to handle. Man, I'm a really this lady. What about my adoptive parents? Are they going to feel guilty? So I realized that I needed therapy only to do one thing. To talk, let out these feelings and thoughts that I was feeling. Did you and feel betrayed at all, or not, or or, or, or deceived because everybody knew something you didn't? Not until we had adoption anonymous meetings. Because you got to think about it. As an adoptee, I was involved in a transaction I had no say so in. Now that being said, it's my human right to know my. That's my right. You know, what I'm saying no, the government can't determine how my story goes. No laws can determine how our story goes. So it was almost like everybody was ashamed because of the way I was conceived and, and, and nurtured. Since it's not like normal like everybody else, as soon as you did that, now I'm not normal. Okay, because I found out the, um, my birth certificate, I have a real birth certificate that I have no access to. In the United States, there's about 13 or 14 states with open, open birth records. When I went to get my original birth certificate, they told me, no, you can't have it. Because they're ashamed of his mother was 18 years old and this and that. So there's a lot of, um, this book is about whatever you're going through. Adoption, orphan, alcohol, substance abuse, um, whatever, depression, low self-esteem, you know what I'm saying? Whatever it is that you're going through, your situation doesn't define who you are. You know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with your value as a person or human being. And when you, you talked about uh, telling Run and Jay, what was your relationship like with those guys? Because you guys, you know, it's, it's like, it, with bands sometimes, you hear about the Stones, there becomes tension and stuff right. because you're creatively collaborating. So what right, Well, you... um, up until, I would say, up until Raising Hell, collaborating was really good. But once we had that Raising Hell success, yeah. um, you know, Run and Jay thought they knew what was good for me to do. Mm. And you, no, D, don't do that. Do this. You know what I'm saying? And I went along with it. Instead of just speaking up, look, eventually there's got to be a compromise. I didn't know back then, you know, in whatever career you're in, sometimes you do things that you don't agree with. Just to, I want to be corrocative. I want people to respect me. I want to sure. be known as a team player. This and that. You can still be all those things, but you, you're supposed to pick up and um, um, let your opinion be known. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of things that I did, a lot of records that I made that I didn't agree with. A lot of, you know, just sitting in a room and watching what people would do just for a check. You know what I'm saying? Because entertainment business and, and, and music business is a really cutthroat thing. I sat in rooms where I was like, damn, man, this motherfucker did that just for the, like, 
just, you know, people got their lives depending on stuff. And instead of me not saying, yo, man, I disagree with you. And my therapist said, that's all you had to say. But you said they held it in and just tried to drown it out with the alcohol. And got resentful. And, and got yeah. resentful. So after 30 years of that, it builds up. So if I wasn't going to explode and shoot running Jay and the record company owner, all of that energy was going to affect me. And so, that's what it started doing. So it's important. Like therapy, people should know that therapy is nothing to be ashamed of. It's Therapy's not soft. Right? It's not a soft thing. I got a new, a new saying everybody loves, it, especially the women. Um, <laughs> men, you know what I'm saying? Men in general think um, therapy is a soft thing. Therapy is gangster. And if, this like is what therapy, therapy is. Therapy allows you, the, 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 the therapist doesn't help you. She's a, she or she's a decoy. Therapy allows you to say stuff to yourself that you should have been listening to if you were saying it already or stuff that you have never said to yourself truthfully. Therapy is about you being truthful to yourself. Once you do that, you allow the powers to be to come in and heal you. Like you can defeat alcoholism. You can defeat drug abuse. You can defeat depression. You can defeat low self-esteem. But your power starts with you. You know, you you can't go in a therapist and say, okay, help me. Right then and there, you lose. You got to go in here and say, I'm here because of this. And when you say something, you know, therapists are going to say, what do you think about that? A lot of times you say, that don't mean nothing to me. And it's the very thing that can free you from what it is. They so, just ask guiding questions sometimes or the right thing. To right. Get you. They, they just nudge in the right direction. Exactly. exactly. You've seen in the Sopranos, Tony Soprano, they yeah. like a lot of stuff that was just, what do you think about that, Tony? Oh, that ain't me. But right then and then, when you see, for me, it's like this. You got to remove yourself or remove those circumstances and situations from your life in order to continue to build the power that you already had. What happened to me was, um, we Run DMC as a group also, we got to the point where instead of just being Run DMC, we were trying to be Run DMC. So when you try to be Run DMC, it was all working when me and Run and Jay was just going in there when I was being me, when Run was being him, and Jay was being him. Now we got all the success, the managers and every, the record label, no, don't do this new thing, do that. When you start doing that, you're destroying yourself. Yeah. Whatever you do, your your presentation is part of who you are. That's why you're attractive to Wolverine. Because you are. You know what I'm saying? Because you're a short, why, stocky little bastard. Yeah, that's you can relate to being 5'3 and a badass motherfucker. 100%. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can relate. You know, the Hulk was my favorite guy. Because, you know, I was this nerdy little kid that went to Catholic school. But when I got on a mic, I transformed yeah. into the Hulk. Oh, that's great. So I can relate to Bruce Banner transforming into this. So anything. And, it, and this is cool about pop culture. I tell little kids. If you read comic books and you like toys and you like superheroes and they tease you and stuff like that, you stand up and beat your chest and you say you goddamn right because those things that you're attractive to are part of you already. It just manifests itself in a make-believe. What is make-believe? Make-believe, make-believe, make-believe. Make them believe. I, I was a shy little kid you know, that had fun just writing rhymes and reading comic books. So writing a rhyme for me or making a record for me isn't for a destination, not to be famous, not for money, but because I did it with sincerity, I became really good at it. Like yeah. I tell kids, I'm not just a rapper. I am the king of rock. There is none higher. Kids repeat after me, none higher. What does that mean? That means there's nobody higher than you. But by me believing, I was make-believing yeah. I was the microphone master. 
and it came true. Yeah. So I got away from being who I believed I was in order to please other people. Let me fit in. Let me not be a troublemaker when that was wrong. So I didn't realize that after I drowned it out with the alcohol, the high going to wear off. And I still got those feelings. So and my therapist said, D, your whole career, you was always speaking what you wanted to be. I'm the king of rock. I'm the microphone master. I'm the devastating mic controller. I'm the sun. My, you know, the, the two words I am are very, I'm a living example of I am. I became all those things. But when I wanted to be what they want me to be, yeah. what happened? I lost my powers. It's like a superhero story. And when I was ready to end it all, it was like the beings up in heaven or up in the galaxy said, no, we have to reveal his true identity. It was almost like my mother and father sent me down. I'm son, we have to tell you you're not really ours. Think about it. Superman was adopted, right? He came from yeah, another world. Yes. Spider-Man was adopted by Aunt May. Right, Batman, yeah. same thing. So my yeah. friends go, D, you're really a fucking superhero. Yeah. I wear glasses. I'm yeah. smart. So all of that yeah. persona was, you know, came forth. But I wrote the book to let people know your strength begins with you. It's okay to say that, yo, I feel depressed. That's powerful right there. Because the first thing Run and Jay told me, you shouldn't feel that way because you have your mother and father. You have this record. Nah, but I do. So I'm running around trying to act like I'm not feeling that way. Who am I killing? I was really killing myself. People just don't understand unless they're going through it. To them, they, hey, well, you have this, you have that, you right, should feel yeah, this you, way. You're on top of the world. You're the king of rock. There is none. My friends was like, gee, how the fuck are you going to be depressed, man? You motherfucker got yeah. diabetes for life. Yeah. But th those things didn't mean nothing. I'm, once I went back to, okay, what it is that I like <laughs> to do. I just like to create and rhyme and read comic books and all of that. Once I went back yes. to that... Everything like changed in an instant. Nah, that's... You know what I'm saying? Oh, somebody once told me your voice isn't just the way you sound. Your voice is how you live your life and how you affect others. That can you, you can walk in a room and you can tell a lot from a person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In hip hop, rock and roll for me was an outlet for me. I was a shy little kid. Look, I went to Catholic school my whole life. I got picked on and I got bullied. I used to wear glasses. I only wear them in the house now because I'm so traumatically scarred from when I was little. I got contacts now, but when I was little, I never would wear my glasses outside because every time I went outside, now wearing glasses now is cool. You got all these different companies and they got all these fashionable yeah. styles. But my whole life as a little kid, and you got to imagine, I wore a uniform. So when I was walking to school, I was a mark for all the public school kids. They, public school kids are crazy. They was like, oh, you got a uniform on. You go to Catholic school. Your mother and father is rich because they pay for you to go to school, run it. So I got my lunch money taken. I got yeah. my sneakers taken. But my whole life as a little kid was, hey, four eyes. Because, you know, the glasses yeah. sure. upside my head. What are you? Could you see that? So my life was miserable as a kid. But when I went in the house and read my comic books, yes. it took me to a world that was perfect. I was the most powerful being on the face of the earth. And in addition to that, I realized where all the bases of my creativity came from. Um, in school, you learn about World War II and history. But when I came home and read Captain America, he took me there. Yes. See, your imagination is powerful. Yes. Imagine means image in. So in school, they taught me about World War II. Captain America had me in yeah. it. In school, they teach you about the galaxies and the planets and all the geeks and the nerds. When I go to Comic-Cons now, I tell them this. They don't realize, it. oh, my God, we love this goddamn sea. 
You learn about the planets yeah. and the comets and Jupiter and the rings of sand and silver surfetation. Uh, yes, Galactus. So you put your night, Galactus yeah. me, and the me, Watcher and at, all at that. Comic-Con, what, what are you doing at Comic-Con? You have your own I comic, have a, you Yeah, said? graphic novel comic book. To, um, it's called DMC. Yeah? Yeah, it's what a is graphic it about? novel comic book. Okay. And I'm get, getting that. I'm getting yeah. both books. First yeah, yeah. Of all. It's out. You can find it at any comic, um, comic book store globally. Okay. In this universe right now, my superpower is hip hop and rock and roll, right? Yeah. I mean, me running Jay, we did some good stuff with hip hop and rock and roll. Save, you know, keep, put down evil, save people, inspire people, and make the world a better place. In a comic book, though, it's me, Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. But I never meet Run. I don't become a musician another. It's Daryl McDaniels. I graduate from St. John's University and I become a teacher. And I'm in the school teaching, but I'm the superhero running around the city fighting all the bad guys and the evildoers. Yeah. So it's everything that I am, except that I never meet Run. Um, um, I don't become a rapper. There's rap, hip-hop, punk rock, everything, every genre. Um, um, there's UFC you. in it. Yeah, it's me, Daryl McDaniels, but not the rapper. <laughs> as a as a kid growing up as a comic fan, a comic book uh, geek, and into that so much, right. how fulfilling was that to get your own, now your, your right. own superhero? Right. How it's great crazy. is that? You want to know what's real crazy about that? You know how it came about. I actually went to have a music meeting up in Atlantic Records, yeah. and the guy that I met with is a young man named Riggs Morales, who was Eminem's right-hand man at Shady Records okay. for the rise of that great kingdom. Yeah. So I go into this meeting, right, and Riggs is sitting across at his desk. You know, he's this big executive at uh, Atlantic Records. And when I sit down, he says this to me. He says, yo, I'm usually very professional. And he uses these words. But yo, DMC, man, you was like a superhero to me. This and that. You know, the way you look and the sound and this and that. So he asked me, what was it like when you was a kid? And I was like, well, I went to Catholic school my whole life. And all I did was read and draw comic books. And just like you just said, I don't believe this. When I said comic books, we sat there for three hours and talked about comic <laughs> books. And then he asked me, did you ever think about putting a comic book out? And I said, no. And he was like, why not? I said, I don't want to be the rapper that just because I have a hit record, I think I can do anything, everything. Yeah. I like to stay in my lane. And he said, yo, D, don't do the rap, the comic book um, um, as a business venture for the celebrity DMC. He said, do the comic book from your first love as a little boy, Daryl McDaniels, whose first love was comic books. So two years ago, he took me to the New York City Comic Con. Yeah. I walked in there and just started having flashbacks. Oh. And he looked at me and said, in a year from now, we're going to have your graphic novel debuting at the New York City Comic Con. And two years ago, we put out issue one of the DMC Universe. And originally, we was going to take it to Marvel or DC. And since we come from a hip-hop, um, you know, do-it-yourself attitude, it was like, yeah. no, um, we want to do what Marvel and DC did some hundred-odd years ago. You know what I'm saying? Start a publication ourselves. Can I get that through my iPad? Do I have to go to the shopping? Yes, no, you can, go, you can go to my website. Um, um, Daryl Makes Comics, dmc-comics.com. Let me translate for Matt. Do you have a free copy? And I'll translate no. for Daryl. No, I don't. <laughs> I have no. some. I'll send you some. No, I'm <laughs> getting it. I want to know, and I want the people to yeah. know. Because so, I'm such a comic book fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so, so looking forward yeah, to this. Yeah, in the comic book, is it, when you come into the DMC universe... I'm the first superhero introduced in the DMC universe, but not the only one. I'm yeah. just the first one you find. In the DMC universe, when you come in, DMC's the main superhero from the, the first superhero from the DMC universe. But there's already superheroes in the universe, but they're not really superheroes. Because think about it like this. If you have superpowers and we come to you, yo, you need to save us. You could go, okay, I'll save you, but you got to pay me. Yeah. <laughs> think about that. So DMC, he don't want no money. Um, in, the, in, um, in, the, in, the, in the comic book, there's one superhero, you know, I only fight for the Italian people. I only fight for the black people. DMC's the superheroes. He don't care. He don't want no money. He's trying yeah. to make the city safe. 
It is based in the 80s-like universe because the 1980s was one of the most um, musically, fashionably, um, literally um, creative times. You know, you had Run DMC, you had Blondie, who made a record about Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. Um, you had the Beastie Boys, you had punk rock, you had the Ramones, you had Lou Reed, yeah. you had artists like Keith Haring and Basquiat. You know what I'm saying? So every all the elements of the so-called old school are elements in this comic book. But the question is, it looks like the 80s. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's graffiti everywhere and the trains and stuff like that. They dress like the 80s. You know what I'm saying? You see all these characters from the 80s. But is it the 80s? It could be the future. Oh, they... <laughs> Think about it. When you yeah. see these future movies now, like yeah. when we was coming up, they showed the future be like the Jetsons. But in the last 10 or 20 years, when you go see, when they did the remake of Total Recall, when they show the future, it looks mm. like dirty. When you see um, 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 right. um, um, Judge Dredd and all that stuff, imagine the future. I mean, technology is good, but look at all this technology happened, but look what's happening to the cities. Did you see so. that new You see that new Dredd movie? It's not new now, but the newer one, not the one with yeah, Slice yeah. the Lord. Right, the newest the, one. How great yeah. was that? Right. Did you see that's it? What, yeah. That was phenomenal, that wasn't was it? That was phenomenal. Did I lose yeah. you on that, Jimmy? Not Jimmy. at all. No, 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 it's no. It's the new Dread movie. It's not new anymore, actually. Yeah. It's probably been out for years, but it was such a good movie. Uh, Keith Urban, is that a guy's name? Right, I, no, I know what you're talking about. What a great, phenomenal. What a, what a great movie. Yeah. Huh? So our universe is <laughs> yeah. like that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's, that's so great. Well, I can't wait to look that up, and yeah, I can look it up you. through your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dar- um, Daryl makes comics. Come on, they ask me, D, if you was to do a publication, what would you name it? DMC Daryl makes wow. comics, so everything go. was easy. Everything was easy, but um, everything that um, you know, especially pop culture. You know, when you're younger, Flintstones, yeah. the Monsters, yeah. I Dream of Genie. You know, we used to like watch I Dream of Genie to see Barbara Eden because she. Oh yeah, she was hot. Yeah, yeah she was so hot. all of that, all of the Flintstones and the Monsters. Wish I found that lamp, lamp, right? For sure, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. give that lamp a nice rubbing. <laughs> so all of, Sorry, DMC. Yeah. Okay, no, for I'm real. Trying to no, keep it real. She still fly. You're not I the only one who needs therapy, her. DMC. Exactly. Yeah, she still looks. <laughs> I need good. a lot of it. All right, but she's hot. But so all of that made me. All of that made me when I stepped to the microphone. That's why, you know, I was so relatable. Um, Wycliffe said, DMC is the only MC that can rhyme about St. John's University, chicken collard greens, and, and Christmas and make it gangster. You know what I'm saying? The, everything I rhymed about, I was always, you know what I'm saying? I always rhymed about what I did. Yeah. And when I got away from being who I am, you know what I'm saying? You can't see DMC rhyming about bitches and hoes and shooting and selling yeah. drugs. I never, I went to Catholic school. So yeah. got to the point where... You know, it's you know, it's, it's 1999 or 2001, 2002. I wanted to tell people what I, I was doing at that. I'm not doing what I used to do at 18. Yeah. But you know, for to, to please Run and Jay and to please the record company, and go with the curriculum. I was representing my existence in a false representation of who I am. When you when you, it's funny you mentioned talking about shooting and stuff like that. When the whole remember the whole East Coast West Coast thing started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. It was crazy. What, what what did you think of the like? Because the West Coast attitude was much different, it seemed, than the East Coast was. And and that, how did that affect the way? Did did you want to change what you did, or did it not make you? Did you? Well, oh my no, God! I have to do no, what they're doing. Oh, well, people, go 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 check the um, Back from Hell album. Run DMC kind of totally changed. You know, people were saying, why are they trying to do gangster stuff? You know what I'm saying? We started cursing on records and, you know what I'm saying? We, we changed the sound of our music and stuff. So we was trying to, we wasn't trying to be them, but we was trying to do what they were doing, you know, musically and creatively right. and stuff like that, which kind of led to our downfall. There's, um, my worst time was the album, the Run DMC album, Back From Hell, which was a total flop. And I talk about this in the book. Um, me, Run, and Jay, we, only time we saw each other was when we was in a studio or um, 
showing up to do a show together. How would you write? Would you guys, because there's no email. No, we right? just come and put the beat on. I say what I say and go home. Jerome would say what he was saying and go home. Oh. So we totally was, it was a total, total disconnect. But around the time, I mean, the only thing good about that time for us was, you know, uh, Run DMC, we were so well respected that, you know, East Coast and West Coast was at odds, but Run DMC had passes. Oh, yeah. They're untouchable. Yeah, yeah. when we walked yeah, over exactly. there, they stopped fighting yeah. and cursing. Oh, Run and D and Jay is here and stuff like that. You guys got love from pretty much everybody. Yeah, I mean, it was just something about us. We were really, really, really very likable. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, yeah, crazy. It's crazy. It was like really, really, really very likable, which was, you know, a blessing in itself. And, you know, and I guess that's because when Run DMC came on into the entertainment business, when people saw us, whether he was a white kid, whether he was a Puerto Rican kid or a black kid, you really didn't see celebrity. You was like, I know a guy that runs his mouth like that yeah. guy run. That guy Daryl with the glasses, he's like the dude that was in my class. And yo, that guy JMSJ is like my uncle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. We, we, we each three represented and you, and something. You, you crossed over. I remember that Aerosmith video like it was yesterday that, when they were playing the music and you busted through the, through wall. the wall and all of that. that. That was so great. And um, yeah. you know, speaking on that too, Walk This Way wasn't yeah. the first rock rap record. The first rock rap record was Rockbox, rock box, yeah. which was the first rap video on this MTV. Then we did King of Rock. Oh. Remember, we did King of Rock with Larry Bud Melman from the David oh, Letterman yes, show. Yes. Going, you guys can't come in here. <laughs> this is a rock and roll museum. And then oh, when man. we did Walk This Way, but speaking about the Walk This Way thing, when Steven Tyler took the mic stand and knocked the, 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 the wall down, yeah. people was like, yo, D, that didn't just happen in the video, man. That happened in the world. Because that was the separation. You know, yeah. it was separate. Metal was yeah. over here. Rock was over there. Hip hop was over there. Yeah. And that record, Run DMC coming together. And Rick Rubin, who produced it was brilliant because we could have just remade the record ourselves, but we did it with them. Oh, that was great. So it put them with us, which was like, if you was turning, I mean, MTV don't even play videos no more. There's right. no discovery. There's nothing to bring the people together I miss no more that. visually. I yeah. do miss that. Because you'd just be flipping through the channels and yeah. you'd be like, what the hell is the Rolling Stones? Even if you don't know who Aerosmith was. What the hell is the Rolling Stones <laughs> doing with Run DMC? And our fans was like, what in the hell Run DMC doing with the Rolling Stones? Because we didn't know the group was Aerosmith. Yeah. We just knew, yo, get no the 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 album was um Toys in the Attic. We would just tell Jay, get number four, get Toys in the Attic out and play number four. Originally, we were just gonna sample the record, the guitar riff and the beat. And it was gonna be then I would have been like, cause it was we st- we came out in '83 and it's '86 now, so the rhyme was gonna be I'm DMC and the place to be, the best MC in history. Been rhyming on a mic since '83. There will never be an MC better than me. And I'm DJ Run and I'm number one. I'm here to get it done and have some fun. That's how it was originally gonna be. It was Rick Rubin's idea to say, hold on, stop, guys. It'll be brilliant if y'all did the record over. Me and Run didn't want to do it over at first. And with a little um, um, coaxing and and getting screamed on, Jay Run and Russell forced us to do that version, that you're here. And like I said, the brilliant thing was that Rick went and got them to come do it with us, which made a big, big difference. What does Rick... I'm sorry. What does Rick do that brings... That that makes guys... Rick Rubin gets the best work out of people. Yeah, he gets the best work. I don't know how he does that. Because he lets the artist be the artist. When he did Johnny Cash, remember he produced Johnny Cash, sure. it was brilliant. American recording show. You know, when he does the Chili Peppers, when he does Metallica, he gets he doesn't come in here and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and you do what I say. 
He says, let me hear what you got. Let me play what you want to play, this and that. And he brings the best. No, don't change, because here's a funny story. When we did the Peter Piper song, Peter Piper picked peppers, run, rock, rock, something, something fell down. This is our times when me and run did that. Um, you know, halfway in the middle of the record is when we go verse for verse. And when my part comes on the record that you hear today, it goes, um, when my part comes, it goes, Jay's like King Midas, as I was told, everything that he touched turned to gold. He's the greatest of the great, get it straight, he's great. Claim fame because his name is known in every state. His name is Jay to see him play. What make you say, God damn, that DJ made my day. He's not the butcher. When I did my verse and I listened back, that verse, the way that I did it when it was time for me to go solo, didn't match the energy in the beginning. So I kept telling Rick, yo, I got to come back and change my verse. I gotta, he was like, no, 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 no. I said, I got to come back because it's not like the Peter Piper pick pepper. It's not doing that. So he was, Rick is funny. He was like, okay, if you want to change your verse, you got to be here in the studio 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. It's already three in the morning. I done sniffed a bunch of cocaine and I done <laughs> drunk a thousand forty ounces, right? Yeah. So he thought there ain't no way D gonna get up. Next morning, nine thirty, I'm back at the studio because I really I gotta change that verse. Yeah. So he let me he said, all right, go in the booth. So I go in the booth and I, I I didn't do it the way I laid it the previous day. I go in there, okay, hit it. So I go in there, chase like King Midas, says I was told everything and I'm like, so we did it. And Rick's real cool. You see, we got his beard now and he walks around. <laughs> so he's real cool. He calls me in and he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play what you did yesterday. Listen, I'm going to play what you did today with all the energy, this and that. And he goes, now you tell me which one is better. I said, the one I did yesterday. And that's the one that we kept. So he always lets you see this is your, like he, he don't want you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to overdo it. And you don't need to do it to impress anybody out to do what you do. And you'll always, always be successful. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. kind of like, you know, in sports or whatever, with your game plan, your fight game plan, just because you're in the championship. Now, let's stick to what got me undefeated. Why exactly. are you going to add something new? Yeah. And even when you hear the Super Bowl, like yeah. when the football plays, when the Super Bowl comes, they always ask the stars, what the coach tell you? Keep doing what you've been doing. You don't you don't make a whole new game plan for the Super Bowl because what you're doing is effective. And I always tell my son, it's like this. When you get a video game the first day, you hate it, you stomp on it, you crush it. But by the sixth or seventh day, you can play it. So when you do something over and over and over, you get better at it. And that's the, um, a testament that I wanted to make with me artistically as an artist. You know, hip-hop nowadays is like, you know, when you get 40 years old, you shouldn't be doing hip-hop no more. I mean, it's different from sports because it's not physical per se. What I mean by that, would they ever tell Bruce Springsteen, yo, Bruce, man, you're 50 years old, you can't do rock and roll no more. So when you think about a, a Run DMC and you think about a Public Enemy or you think about a, a Big Daddy Kane or a Dougie Fresh, you know what I'm saying, the industry itself is like, you guys are too old to do hip-hop. I'm like, no, I ain't, motherfucker. I invented the motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and your voice is, seems cool now. I mean, how's everything with that? I mean, it, it's crazy because, like I said, what was going on internally manifested well, itself yeah. physically. I didn't have no operations. I mean, the, the one time that I went to get something to, to, to um, that was like a chemical or something um, surgical was... I went to um, the Mount Sinai Ear, Eyes, Nose, and Throat Hospital up here on 90-something Street, whatever, whatever. So I go in there, and um, a lot of times for spasmodic dysphonia, they give you Botox shots. You know, the Botox you put in your yeah, lip, yeah, yeah. they could put it into your vocal cord. And I remember I go there, all right, I'm, the, I'm gone, I'm alcoholic, what the fuck, I'll do it. So I go in there. <laughs> And it's like right out of a movie. I'm sitting in a the chair. They put you in a big chair. You know what I'm saying? They put your head back and they strap you in and stuff yeah. like that. And the doctor goes over <laughs> there, right? It was almost like he put on the big giant goggles. 
and he puts the rubber gloves on. And when he turns, he turns around to me. He got a needle in his hand, but then he got a, a needle syringe in his hand. This sounds like needle, total recall. Yeah, it was, <laughs> this shit was foot long because he had to get it down my throat. And I remember my wife was standing there with me. He puts it down my throat and he starts pushing the Botox in my throat and I faint. I totally blacked wow, out. I'm about to faint. Yeah, and, and I woke up. My wife's over there crying. That was the most horrible thing I'd ever seen. And the Botox didn't work. Oh no! The Botox didn't work. I mean, I was I was running around, and in the book I talk about it. So you gotta understand where I was at. We we got this resurgence of Run DMC, so me being on the road is bringing the food home, putting the food on the table, but I can't rhyme. You know what I'm saying? So I'm out there in front of thousands of people, where everybody's looking at me like this. I can't rhyme, but I can't leave. Like imagine feeling like you're helpless. And it was like, the, the, the feeling was like, it, I was proud of all my accomplishments. You know what I'm saying? But I'm thinking I'm worthless to my wife and kid if I can't bring home the, 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 the um, you know, to bring home the bacon. But doing it in this form was like, I just said, all right, the money's good, but it's best if I'm dead. Because imagine, I'm doing something that I can't do no more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I got to do it. So imagine that nobody's, now imagine that I'm doing something I can't do no more and while I'm rhyming on stage, I'm thinking, man, I probably got a brother and sister out there. I got a, Every time I would get on a plane, I would see people that look like me. Imagine how I was living. It was crazy. And then, um, you know, when I did the search for my birth mother, I found my birth mother. And um, the, the thing that made everything, and it wasn't no closure because you're still dealing with these, these feelings, but it was helpful um, to, to help fill, 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 fill the void. When I met my birth mother... She looks at me and she says, I know you're dying to know why I gave you up. Because think about it, I could have been aborted. Yeah, no. Think about it. And the kids look at me when I bring out, tell the story, and I found out over the phone. All the kids go, over the phone? Yeah. And then I go, but think about it. I might not have been here. But it was meant for DMC. It's meant for Daryl McDaniels to be the DMC guy in this group for a bigger reason than just being the king of rock. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My birth mother, she turns to me and says, oh, you want to know why I gave you up? And I was like, shoot, lady, that's an understatement. She said she gave me up to gave me a chance. Yeah. And I looked at myself and said, you gave me one other. Because think about it. If my birth mother never would have gave me up, and I thought I was born in Brooklyn. My mother, she didn't know what was going on. She was like, your mother was 18 years old and you're Dominican. So for four years, I was running around telling people I was Dominican. Um, I ran up on Fat Joe and Daddy Yankee. They was going to make me the Grand Marshal of the Dominican Day Parade. Because <laughs> it's all about identity, you know what I'm saying? So my wife, I love women are cool, especially if you got a girlfriend or wife that talks sense to you. Yeah. She was like, Daryl, don't you think you should wait until you can confirm that you're Dominican? Oh, no, my mother and father know what they're talking about. So for four years, I'm running around thinking I'm Dominican. But, you know, I looked at my life and said, um, you know, you gave me one hell of a chance because it was meant for Daryl. To be born, I found out that I was born in Harlem Hospital. And then um, when I was put up for adoption, Byford and Banner came from Hollis and took me. If they would have never did that, I would have never met Run and Jay. You know what I'm saying? Everybody says, yo, hip-hop would have happened. But it would have happened in the tour. It might not have happened. It was meant for me and Run and Jay to be the dudes screaming Adidas and King of Rock and stuff like that. So what I want to tell um, older people who are going through, older people and young, young people in general, I mean all people in general, Whatever it is that you're going through, your situation, maybe your situation may be fucked up, but it doesn't define who you are, your worth. And no matter what's going on in your life, you can defeat it. That's what I represent. I'm not, 
or maybe not be the solution, but I'm the, an example. Look, and and what 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 would happen um, that the book came to fruition was. After Jay passed away, can, can I stop you and ask yeah. you about Jay's passing away? I want, yeah, yeah, I, want yeah. I did want to ask you about Jay. Yeah, was was he in, was he in trouble before, or did you were you aware that he had some dealings? No, that might no. Be rough what, or? what happened with Jay was is this: he could have had his studio right here in the city, around the corner yeah. from Daddy's house. He could have had a studio in sunny L.A. where Dr. Dre's studio was at. His studio was five minutes from where he grew up. This was Jay's heart. I made it out, so I'm gonna put the doorway that I went through right here for y'all to come through too i'm not mad and i remember when i said this i got so much flack on on twitter and everything on on the internet i said i'm not mad at the dude that shot jay in the head and the fans was like motherfucker just no 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 i said no no you have a right to be angry i said but i'm not mad at the person my fight and struggle is against the mentality that would cause the dude to pull the trigger jay made it out and wanted to deliver his people through the same doorway that he did and that being said, after Jay passed away, what happened was um, Jay passed away, so we had to break the group up because our joke is we can't replace our drummer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Me and Run, we can do uh, reunion shows, which is what we do. We only stick into like festivals or radio shows. And we only do the radio shows if you're a really good friend. And it's not, when you see me and Run now at a festival or radio show, you're not seeing Run DMC. Run DMC is Run DMC and Jam Master Jay. Right now, when you see me and Run at a festival or radio show, it's like, oh, shoot. Paul McCartney jumped up on stage with Ringo. It's gotcha. one of those things. Yeah. But um, what had happened after Jay passed away, you know, my partner, my former partner, Run, he had like eight or nine successful seasons of a TV show. So I'm going through all of this that's in the book. But when people see me, their first two questions is this. Why you ain't on Run's house? So this book, oh, you want to know? Read the book. Oh, that's some shit not to be on TV. And also... What are you up to? So then I would tell people, well, I just found out that I was adopted. I'm in therapy and I got out of rehab. And I would tell people my story way before I thought about writing a book. And people would go, yo, we thankful you didn't commit suicide. Oh, it's good that you're cleaning yourself up. It's good that you're seeking therapy. And everybody I would tell what I've been going through would go, could you come speak to my daughter? Because we told her she's adopted. She's going through. Yo, could you come speak to my dad? He's alcoholic. He didn't want to go to rehab. They say, like, yo, the Bible and the therapy and the psychology book is cool. But if motherfucking DMC come tell him, and, and it started having that effect where I would go speak to foster kids and I would go speak to um, adopted kids and I would go speak to, um, you know, you see what's going on in, in this country with the policemen right now. The cops are stressed out. I'm talking about the good cops are stressed out. So, um, when I first put my story out there, um, I, I did a documentary of me searching for my birth mother, and somebody saw that I mentioned that I had a substance abuse problem, and I went and got my clean self up. So the guy in my neighborhood comes to me and says, yo, D, could you come speak to the fireman? And I was like, why? Who's adopted? He said, no, nobody's adopted. The firemen are stressed out. You know what I'm saying? All the firemen are drinking, so you know we're trying to get them to go to therapy. But if DMC come and talk to them, so I realized that the same way I've always told y'all, I'm DMC in the place to be. I go to St. John's University and I'm Christmas. I realized that when I've told y'all the good things and it had a positive effect, I realized that even me telling the bad things I've been through have a positive effect. And, and you then, mentioned, oh, good. No, no, I was just going to say, just uh -huh. like you're going to reach a lot of a lot of people and a lot of people that were looking at therapy, uh, looking down on it, right. looking at it shameful and this and that because you're such an idol to people, both in the, both in the hip hop world and, and, and just in, in general, universal. Right. You all loved. So I think that's going to help out a, just a tremendous right. amount of yeah, people yeah, knowing yeah. that you're saying, listen, like you said, therapy is gangster. It is. You know, it that's is. a great it quote. It really helps and empowers yeah. you. It really, really... 
It really, 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 really makes you strong. It really, and now, and what happened in therapy was, okay, I'm feeling um, depressed, I'm feeling suicidal, I feel low self-esteem. What therapy does, it takes you all the way back. I remember the day when all of these feelings first came to me because of therapy. Um, there was a time when, I remember when I, I wrote a whole idea for Run DMC myself. And this was before Biggie made um, More Money, More Problems. Um, uh, I remember I wrote this record called Chill With A Mill and Somebody Still Got Beef, which is more money, more product. Because it was <laughs> yeah. the first time I had a million dollars in the bank. And it was crazy. I used to tell my friends, remember bank books back in the day when you had the bank? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to tell my friends, look. Right? It was like $970-something. And my friends, let's go to the Jamaica Avenue. Let's go to Jamaica <laughs> Avenue and go shopping. But make a long story short, I remember... Um, I had a, a, almost a million dollars in the bank, and this was right before hip hop was changing. So now people are saying Run DMC's over. They commercial, they soft, you know, uh, you know their, their era's over, stuff like that. So it kind of hurt me. But since I'm creative, I was writing all these rhymes. So I, I, I did this record called Chill with a Mill. Somebody still got beef. And we started to work on the, um, it was right after Tough and Leather. We was working on the Back from Hell album. And I remember I was like a little kid. The first people that I saw was um, Eric Sermon and Paris Smith from EPMD. And I said, I got this idea for this record. And I spit the verses to them. They was like, yo, that shit is crazy, this and that. Because it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a little different than the typical suck MC rhymes that I was saying. You know, it was a little like, I'm the king, motherfucker. Y'all don't mean nothing. It was like that. So I went to running Jamie's going to the studio. And I was like, yo, I got this record. I spit them their idea. And they looked at me and was like, no, nah, we ain't doing that. So, and they just killed it like that so i remember i balled up my rhyme and i put it in my pocket and i'm feeling like shit and i'm like okay let's do the record and we did the record and i remember i just wanted to get out the room and as soon as i left the studio i ran right to the 40s and i remember from therapy that was the beginning so every day now that they did that to me i didn't speak up i didn't address my opinion i realized i could have did this fuck y'all i quit yeah. That's powerful. You gonna walk away? They done been in some shit. You got running no DMC and y'all trying to do this out. But I didn't realize I had right. that power. Yeah. But then I remember that day. Um, during that back from hell time was me going down the deep hole of alcoholism. Because I thought, two reasons. I thought I needed it to compete. When I walked out the door, Duke, Rob Duke said this today too. I thought I needed to compete in social situations, but I also thought that I needed to, I, I thought the alcohol could get these feelings away. But when the highway is off, you still got the feelings. So I, nowadays I try to do what makes me feel good and then the good result will come. And you mentioned the cops being stressed and, and all these things we're hearing in the yeah, news, the man. black community, the cop. What is the solution, do you think? Or, or what do you think? Cause did, right. you, did you see that growing up? Or what, what do you think needs to be done? Well, man, when I was growing up, we had this thing called hip-hop and rock and roll that brought people together. You know what I'm saying? And we know that um, two years ago, three years ago, probably one of the first shows that they were run, we did um, Jay-Z's Made in America show. And we was doing an interview, and we was getting interviewed by um, Ron Howard, Opie. You know, I'm yeah. doing an interview. I'm like, oh, shit, this is Opie interviewing me, this and that. So I'm giving him these funny looks, and Mr. Howard was like, what the fuck is the matter with you? <laughs> but make a long story short, I made a statement. I said, um... Music succeeds where politics and religion fails. Now I kind of flipped it even deeper now that I'm back into the comic books. The arts succeed where politics and religion fail because it breaks down those walls of I'm, I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, I'm Muslim, I'm Christian and all of that. But what we really need to do is this. Um, about three months ago, I did a song 
about all the shootings in, 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 in that's going on in the country. And it wasn't a pro-black song. It wasn't an anti-right song. It wasn't an anti-cop song. It wasn't um, um it, it wasn't a record that's just directed at white cops shooting a black right. kid. It's a record that anybody shooting any motherfucking body. The record is about this. It's a record called Flames. It's on YouTube. We did a lyric video because the producer, who I'm going to mention in a second, said, we don't need to t do the typical band, see us doing a record. He said, these lyrics are so powerful. We want people to see what we're saying. Um, John Moyer from the rock band Disturbed, John Moyer bass, produced me and Miles Kennedy. Oh, wow. We did, yeah, yeah. Uh, the name of the record is Flames. It's about to shoot. And then here, here's what the problem is. In all of the shootings that happened, all of them, the ones that's being videotaped, this and that, the cops, maybe has to do with um, inexperience. The record starts with this. Unnecessary bullets, unnecessary bullets, get your finger off the trigger, there is no need to pull it. Unnecessary bullets, unnecessary bullets, death shouldn't be a necessary fulfillment. A bad decision is a shot away. Life is worth living each and every day. There's a smell in the air of fire and smoke, cities burning everywhere, but I ain't giving up hope. We made that record to say the bullets in all of these instances should not have been discharged. And what I mean by that is, remember a couple of years ago, it was on every news thing when the two dudes robbed the bank in L.A., please? That's right. With the body armor, and they was walking through. Now, that's the situation yeah. where you'll pull out. Broken tail light, no license, no registration, open container in the car. I don't care if the motherfucker pulls off. The motherfucker pulls off, and when he gets to the next destination, they release a barrage of 300 bullets. Yo, the guy's running, man. Catch him. If we don't catch him, we'll catch him tomorrow. In all of these instances, the bullets shouldn't be discharged. And none of this would be going on. Now, I don't know if it's protocol or training procedures. Like me, if I'm coming to the car and I know this motherfucker about to run, you know what I'm saying? Let him run. Call your boy. He's coming your way. This and that. We're talking about unnecessary bullets. And the unnecessary bullets... It's the same mentality that caused, I don't care if it's the black-on-black -black crime, the Asians is killing each other, the Indians is killing each other. All of these bullets are flying. You ask what the solution is. We sit down in a room with our politicians, with people, the leaders of the communities. You sit down with all the people in those communities. You hear their complaints. The record that we did, Flames, when, when these people get a... Uh, a situation that doesn't go their way like a like a not guilty verdict and they run around and they burn police cars and they burn and loot the buildings none of the psychologists is realizing this they're not mad at the police cars they're not mad at the buildings this is how people feel inside they reaching out and burning the bricks and tearing the, this is how they feel inside so we need to sit these people they oh I, what do you need when i go to speak to kids at group homes and they always go Yo, watch out for that one. He's a violent motherfucker. Me and Sheila Jaffe, who um, started um, our foundation, where we make sure we sit with all the kids and we do this. We push all the psychology books and all of the, the spiritual books out the way. And we say, is there anything you want to tell anybody that you never told a person? 99 times out of 10, they release something that no the counselor don't even know. And when they release that, they have a solution. 
Um, I remember I went one time and I spoke at a place, and this is what I mean, what we should do with the shooting thing. Dialogue means you hear something that you can make a change tomorrow. I went somewhere one time and I was telling the kids, man, comic books is cool, writing is cool, poetry is cool. If you want to feel like drawing, doodling is cool and all of that. And there was one kid in there cuffed with the cuffs on his feet. So they, they brought, him, um, brought him in to hear me speak and stuff like that. And he had the correction officers with him because he was a basket case. He in there for murder. Young guy. Yeah. 16, 17 years old. So he's sitting there the whole time hearing me speak, you know, positive rapping ass, EMC, hearing the office speak, hearing the teacher speak or whatever, whatever. And then it comes to me and I'm talking comic books and poetry and what hip hop was to all us kids. And hip hop wasn't just music and being a rapper. It's break dancing and this and that and this and that. So at the end of the event and stuff like that, the CEO comes over to me and says, yo, DMC, you want to speak to you? And I'm like, oh, shit, the crazy motherfucker want to speak to me? And I walked over to him and stuff like that. And he pulls out a little folded, you know how you used to fold a thing into the triangle? Sure, yeah. Yeah. He said, yo, DMC, man, I heard what you were saying. I just want you to read my poem. And I gave him, he gave me the poem. I read the poem. And I said, yo, this is really, really, really good. I said, yo, you may not be getting out anytime soon. But um, every day you wake up, no matter what you're feeling, there, write your poetry down. And when I left, the guy calls me back up, the, the, you know, the, the head of the thing. And he says, yo, D, man, when you just spoke to that guy, man, don't you realize he never revealed that to anybody? And since you left, his whole attitude has changed. We have to change our attitude, not just the way we look at law enforcement. The solution is how we look at each other. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, listen. The white cop shooting the black kid is an issue, but a bigger issue to me is the black kid shooting the black kid. Once I can eradicate that, then I can get mad at the white cop shooting the black kid. But this is what killed me. Last week, um, we did a Q&A, and the person said, here's what's going on. It's wrong when a white cop shoots a black kid. And then I said, what about when a black person shoots a black kid? Here's our problem. Oh, that's normal in the hood. Uh -huh. That's what we got to fix. There you go. There you go. That's what we got to fix. And we have to, uh, we have to, I guess, wrap up with DMC. Let me tell you, You're I could listen to him all day long, awesome. though. This is uh, once again the, the name of the book. Is, yeah, is it? Ten ways not to commit suicide. Don't do it. You knows this yes, well. You I wanted do. to jump after you got turned. They said you're no comedian. You're yeah. not on the list. You feel like you're worthless, but you're so much worth. Like right now, you wouldn't be here doing this with us. You wouldn't be here with Matt. You no, know what don't, don't show me. He'll you want to kill himself saying? again. <laughs> <laughs> and what's, name, what's the song that comes with the audio book? Oh, the name the of the song is um, Suicide. We did a song that's coming off um, my... I did a heavy metal collaboration, sort of like what Ice-T does with Body Count. Right. Ah. Um, um, Rob Dukes, who was the third lead singer of Exodus, has a band called Generation Kill, who produced a song for my album that I'm working on. That one song came out so good, we decided to do a full-length a metal hard rock album called The Dark Project. We call it The Dark Project because it deals with suicide, substance abuse, low self-esteem, politics, black and white relations. It deals with all the um, issues that people are afraid to sit at a table and discuss. And um, like I said earlier, the single that I have out now is a lyric video, DMC featuring Miles Kennedy, Produced by John Moyer of the rock band Disturbed, and the name of the record is Flames. Um, I have an EP coming out in September featuring the Flames record with um, Moyer and Miles. Joan Jett. Oh. Yeah. Rome from yeah. Sublime. Um, um, Sebastian um, the, Bach. The new, the, the, no, that's going to come on the album. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, 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 Chris Perez, who is Selena. 
um, the, the girl that got killed, the yep. Latino girl. Yeah. And um, then I have a follow-up. Dig this. Y'all going to love this. I got a follow-up because I never made one to the King of Rock called Rocker's Delight. Ooh. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah, it's going to be this. So the EP is coming um, in September. We're probably going to drop the, the full-length metal album in between the EP and um, my album that's coming out. Now, the album, okay. which will be spring 2017, I got um, um, Travis Barker, Mick Mars from Motley Crue, Sebastian Bach okay. from Skid Row, um, Rome from Sublime, um, um, Joan Jett, Justin Furstenfield from Blue October, Tim Armstrong from Rancid. Yo, this new album coming is going to be killer. And the book is 10 Ways Not, not to, to Commit, commit suicide, suicide, The Great DMC. And comic books are cool because Matt oh. said so. <laughs> we both so agree on that, twisted. man. You're like a true life uh, hero with Thank this. You, you can man. help a lot of people out, man. It's Thank a beautiful you, thing. Thank you. So Thank great you. to have you down here. I'll come back when the music come out, too. Yeah, we 100%, love that. please. Yeah, we can talk about the music and the, the, you know, the lyrics and stuff like that. Thanks so much, Thank man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you for having me. Really great meeting better than I thought. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me, Thank you. This is UFC Unfiltered with Jim Norton and Matt Sira. Indochina. They measure and make suits, and uh, they are available to the masses. A made-to-measure suit fits and feels a lot better than a generic off-the-rack suit. Like I've said before, I'm a misshapen idiot. Both of us. Yeah, we're, we're, we are, you're we're, short and wide. I am short and so wide. And you're a little taller than me, and you're, you're, you're slim. But I'm wide in the hips like an Amish woman. You're, you, you have more of a man's build. I, I have the, an Amish woman. I have short arms. So for yeah. me, I, I can never buy anything, so I always look like I'm wearing my father's clothes. And uh, it feels good to have a suit that's one of a kind and fits uniquely. And uh, you look good. You feel confident when you're wearing that. Indochina is reinventing men's fashion. And it's a made-to-measure suit. It's the best suit you're ever going to own. So suit up. You can customize the details you want. You can pick your lining, lapels, personal monogram, and more. 14 unique measurements go into making a suit that fits you perfectly. So instead of buying just some shitty one that doesn't fit you properly, buy one that is made to measure for you and it fits you right. Aren't you sick of looking like a dope? Yes. I didn't mean you. I meant oh, the people. I'm sorry. Like, no, you look good. I thought you were talking to me. No, I would never talk <laughs> okay, to my I'm friend sorry. and co host who could kill me like that. Indochino? I would never speak to you that way. I'm saying in general, we're all sick of looking bad in suits that don't fit. You and your dumb short arms out there, get it measured. You can't go wrong with the well-crafted 100% merino wool suit. Also, check out their made-to-measure dress shirts and men's accessories. There's a money-back guarantee, which, as you know, we love. Today, our listeners get any premium suit for just $399. That's up to 50% off at Indochino.com when entering UFC at checkout. Plus, the shipping is free. Look, there's no reason not to try your first custom-made suit with a deal this good, and a suit classic from their premium collection will look good, feel good, and it will last. That's Indochino.com, promo code UFC for any premium suit for just $399, and you get free shipping. Indochino, your look, your way. Stop looking ridiculous. This week, this week. in UFC history. At UFC Fight Night 46 on July 19th, 2014, the UFC returned to Dublin, Ireland for the first time in a little over five years. In the main event, Ireland's own Conor McGregor took on Ultimate Fighter Season 14 featherweight winner Diego Brandao. Four minutes and five seconds into round number one, the Notorious gave his hometown crowd something to cheer about, stopping the Brazilian by TKO. Brandao looks hurt, he's coming to the end! He's coming to the end, he's stopping! 
With the win, Connor began a string of five straight performance of the night bonuses, culminating in a championship victory at UFC 194 against Jose Aldo. I said it last year, we're not here just to take part, we're here to take over. This week in UFC history. How good was DMC? Um, listen, I'm psyched, man. I mean, he really we lit our first in studio guest, and he just he came in like five minutes early. Oh wow! So Matt walks in, Daryl is sitting here. I and know. Boom, we just go. You know, I wanted to right right away break into how my uh, my parents and my grandparents they all grow. You know, they 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 were in Hollis Queens, and that's his that's his neighborhood. So we got that in common. We we bonded. I feel he had uh, he's into comic books. Like like I could not believe how much he was into comic books. I I love that. Yeah, you know, because it's another one. Sometimes you you put comic books together with just like little kids or whatever, but you get like people like that you wouldn't think that are into it that are into comic books. Like, uh, like again, he's such a, he's such a uh, a legend in the hip hop world that you sure. wouldn't put him together with reading superheroes and said, But he loves. It. He's into it. He's still into it. He's a guy. That, that, that was a guy who. Uh, who literally can talk about anything. He's just Speaking awesome. Speaking of talking about yes. anything and to anybody, guess who's calling in? Well, I know who's calling in. Oh, okay. We, I think this, we don't really have to guess. Hi, Holly. Are you on the phone? Hello. This is Holly Holm. How are you? Hi, Holly. It's Jim Norton and Matt Sarah. Hi, How are Holly. You? How's it going? Oh, very good. Holly, we just seen you. We were at the... Um, where were we? What fights were we just at? Were it was UFC just... 200. Yeah, man. I know. Wow. Listen, we went to three events in three days in Vegas. It's still a whirlwind to me. But we saw you. Uh-huh. We were in that... Um, what, what room the was The Harley that? Davidson See, thing at... Um, at, at uh, there was a certain room we were in. It was kind of VIP, but everybody was taking pictures anyway. And it was a big line of people uh, behind Holly. And myself and Jim Norton were walking out of the room. We wanted to say hello. And Holly, I don't know if you recognized us, because I know we spoke before and stuff. I don't know if you know Jimmy well, but you kind of looked at us like a couple of creepy fans trying to get ahead of the line. Do you remember this? No, I would have <laughs> never looked at you. Did guys you like see that. us? Did you remember us saying hello? Like, hi, Holly. I know you guys, and I, if, if I was doing that, it's because I was in a daze. No, um, you were very nice. You looked no. at me, you're like, oh, yeah, I thought we knew each other, because I just kind of creepily tapped you on the yeah, forearm. I'm like, think, hi. And then I think you saw me, and you're like, all right, he's with him. He's not as creepy. But I don't know. I We looked like we shot you though i hope we didn't surprise you online like that we weren't no. trying to cut the line we just wanted to say hello no <laughs> not at all i wasn't thinking that at all so how are you uh how are you doing and, and how are you feeling and uh you obviously were at the fights uh you know uh, let's let's start with how, how you're doing and, and how ready are you to f- fight uh, valentina you know i i actually went to vegas to train and because all we had fighters thursday friday and saturday so I went out there because every single one of my coaches was out there and, and part of the teammates and everything. So um, I went to Vegas to train. So if I seemed out of it, it's probably because I wasn't really into the actual, you know, fight kind of scene so much. I was there to train. And, um, you know, I I think the only fight I actually went out into the crowd for was the last two fights of UFC 200. I just watched the rest of them. Thursday, I didn't make it. Friday, uh, I just watched it from the VIP room on the on the screen, so I could just watch and, and go back to bed. Uh, kind of trying to stay a little under the radar because I, I wanted to make sure that my focus out there was was still on my fight ahead. So I'm feeling good. Just trying to, you know, at this point, keep healthy. You know, keep rested this week and just hopefully have a good showing on Saturday. Have you? Have you? You have not fought since. Uh 
losing to to the belt to Misha. How did that affect right. you when you when you when you lost? Because you really you 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 fought like you didn't stop fighting. You know, all of a sudden you just your arms stopped moving. I mean, you you didn't <laughs> give up. So what happened? You woke up and they told you you had lost, or did you automatically know? I was in a little dream world for a minute, you know, <laughs> and when I. I don't even know what I went to dream, but then the roaring of the crowd like woke me up. And as soon as I opened my eyes and I saw the crowd and I was inside, then I knew exactly what it was. You know, I just thought, oh, crap. You know, I just got choked out. And um, so, no, I, I really what I was thinking is in round, because she had me in that same position around two and I got out of it and I remember thinking, you know, I can get out of it. I got out of it before I'm going to get out of it again. And that's just the last thing I thought. Next thing you know, yeah, I was waking up. (laughs) I love that though because that really is the sign of a true warrior and you really are. I've watched a lot of your your battles and I even watched some of your boxing matches and I just became more and more of a fan of yours. And you you were just not in that quick tap club and that was in the way you explain it and I heard you explain it in another interview where people like, oh, that's, you know, you went to sleep like a warrior and it's not even about that. It's about the last thing going through your mind in the fifth round was like, if I just escape and I heard you say that if I just get out of this, I've got this fight because yeah. you were fighting yeah. such a brilliant fight i mean misha is such a game opponent and she's so skilled and she has so much experience where she had you in trouble in that one i believe was that the second round she had your back i'm sorry it is right second round, yeah. yeah and you escaped that and it was excellent and and you were very poised with doing it and and uh again you were in, and she had it so sunk in that last round and again it wasn't yeah. like all right i'm i'm just gonna go to sleep you weren't thinking that you were thinking if i could just get out if i could just get out yeah. and next thing you know you you wake up. So, I mean, you, you're such a warrior. And I've been watching Valentina, uh, her fights. And I'll tell you, she's not in that quick tap club either. She went with uh, no. Amanda's, uh, with the, now with the, the champ, Amanda uh, Nunez. Nunez, yeah. Nunez. Jimmy already jumps in to make sure I don't mess up anybody's names. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to help me out. But I seen her, I, see, I just watched their fight on the train over just to watch it again. And it was a close fight. She was very patient on her feet. And again, uh, talking about that, uh, not in that quick tap club, she had her neck. She was in the rear naked. And she ended up just, just surviving it, surviving it. And then she came back to have a good third round so this fight is uh and she was very like i said very patient on her feet and she's a southpaw i don't know how you feel about that yeah. but uh this this fight is gonna be a, i'm i'm really really excited for this fight now that I, I i brushed up and watched her last two fights if people aren't familiar with valentina uh it, she's a very Tough. game opponent very and if that fight with Nunez would have been longer valentina would have been the victor and i feel like a lot of people you know, maybe they haven't really heard of Valentina's name a whole lot, but um, she's definitely coming in and, and doing well. Um, she is she's very very tough, and I know I know that I, I know that I have. And I keep saying this, but I know I have my hands full with her. She's not anybody. You know, she's no slouch. She's got a lot of experience. She has more Muay Thai experience than I have boxing experience. You know, a lot of people talk about my boxing background but she's got a lot of Muay Thai experience and um, she's very very tough and very game opponent in in a lot of different uh, areas of this you know sport so um, I I need to be ready for all all of it and and uh, Holly Rhonda hasn't fought since you and uh, that was you know you were I believe her first loss and now you've taken your first loss. And, and what is the difference? How does it affect you, that first loss? Do you have an air of invincibility that goes away? Or, or how do you see yourself as a fighter any differently, if at all? 
Well, I definitely want to come back and win. I hate to lose, and that's that's my thing. Is the only thing to make kind of make it feel better is to have a, a victory. And I don't want to feel like I, you know, yeah, I lost the fight, but I don't want to feel like I've been defeated in life and in my passion and in my career. So it makes me want to push forward and do better. But you know, I, um, yeah, it's a sour taste in my mouth. You know, sure. I don't. I don't want that. Um, and, yeah, you know, you never know what's going to happen this coming weekend. It can be extra sour or it can be a great feeling of, oh, finally I got that, you know, that victory back. But um, I don't know. It's just it's a, this career that we choose is just it's a it's a crazy ride, you know. It sure is. It sure is. And, you know, not for nothing, I think that's where your experience with your boxing really uh, comes into play because you've had battles and losses where you came back and you avenged them. Correct? Yeah, I have. And I've been, you know, I've had, I think probably one of the biggest that was hard for me to come back from, which I had to kind of just ignore what everybody else was saying and do my own thing, was after I, I had a pretty brutal knockout from uh, Anne-Sophie Matisse. I don't know exactly how to say her name. I'm, I always say Anne-Sophie Mathis, but I think it's Matisse. She, um, you know, she knocked me out. We had a rematch, and everybody's saying, oh, why are you fighting her, you know? you know, you don't have to do that. You, you've, you've done well with your career and all this. And it's like, well, by you saying I don't have to do that means you don't think I can do it, you know? Um, or what, if you're asking me why I'm taking this rematch, that means you wouldn't because you don't think that it's possible. So, but there's, there's a reason why it's my career and my thing is I want to get it done. I want to get in there and avenge my loss. And, you know, going into that fight, I just felt like, you know, could I have lost again? Yeah, she hadn't lost in, you know, 17 years or whatever it was, and she had 24 victories, and 21 of them were by brutal knockout, you know, and one of them was just me. So going into it, yeah, I had to battle with a lot of doubt in my own mind, um, but I definitely had to kind of just deal with it myself, and that's where I'm at now. I, there's obviously self-doubt. There's there's things that go through your mind after a loss, and you can kind of be down on yourself, but there's only one way to go is, is upward. That's where I'm at. I'm focused on just getting better and going forward. And what do you think about the, uh, you know, like you train at Jackson Wink, and, and uh, John trains there, and then the news mm -hmm. that Brock ha had a test come up, uh, I guess a possibly positive. Uh, what, what do you think about all that's been happening? And how do you avoid that if you're actually not taking performance-enhancing stuff, but stuff in, in, in the rest of your life that, that could have uh, some sort of a positive test mm -hmm. result? Yeah, I think it is a little nerve-wracking sometimes for what's in different supplements and things like that. I know that I don't really, I don't really take a lot. I take like vitamins and right. <laughs> things like that, but and just the basic protein. But I really don't take a lot of um, other kind of supplements because I think it's scary. You never know what's going to be in them, and I think that that's you know proven to be true. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like. Everybody's in charge of themselves, and, and it is kind of one of those things that it's hard to know what's really in some of this stuff, and, and a lot of it's not regulated. I mean, the, the testing's regulated, but I mean, a lot of the supplements that come out, how careful are these, you know, supplement companies with it? I'm not really sure. You know, they, they want you to fill the results. Maybe they're not going to be real careful with everything that they put on there. And um, so who knows what really happens with a lot of that. But, um, you know, for me, I... I I try to stay, stay pretty simple with my supplements to try and avoid all that. And can you give us your thoughts? Dana had said that uh, 
it, when Ronda comes back, she's going to get a title shot. And you, you know, you, uh, you didn't get an immediate title rematch. Do you look at that as the, hey, look, she's just, a, she's a big name, or, or how do you process something like that? I, whatever, you know, uh, she's done a lot <laughs> for the sport, for the UFC, for, sure. she's a very dominant champion. So I could see them giving her that opportunity. Um, I'm not really sure if she's really coming back soon or not. I think that's kind of been the big question with everybody. Uh, kind of wondering, but I don't ever want to, you know, just put everything on, on one thought, uh, one fighter out there in our division. You know, for me, I have my own career path, and whatever fight is in front of me is the one I want to make the most of, and that's as far as I really think about it. And you do want another shot. Uh, I mean, you want you want a shot back at that title, though. So if you win this fight, where do you think that puts you in that hunt? We'll see what happens. I, I honestly am just thinking about this weekend because without a victory there then what else is promised you know who knows i don't want to have two losses back to back sure. so i really am just wanting to focus on on this coming fight and that's it was there anything in your training for misha that was different than it was for ronda or that it is now for valentina like was there anything you were lacking in your training for not to take anything away from misha tape but was there anything sometimes somebody wins and the fight after the win i'm sure is a little harder to get as hyped up for because you already have the belt no, I was I was hyped up and I trained hard. I had no excuses for that fight. Uh, my training coach, my training, you know, was great. I had no injuries. Uh, I was taught all the right things, uh, and even for that exact position that I went out with, I was taught the right things. I just didn't do them. I didn't perform well. Some people, you know, after the fight, of course, everybody's trying to find the reason. Uh, some people are putting pictures of. You know, me with Rhonda and me with Misha, and oh, look at this shape she was in here and the shape she was in here. And I'm like, well, yeah, sometimes that's the sliding because actually, you know, I felt fine. Um, you know, she was on me for all of round two, can be a very tiring type of a round, and I still came out for three, four, and five. Um, so I can't say it was my conditioning, I can't say it was the coaching. I had no injuries. Uh, it was just, you know, I messed up. Well, well, to it. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, listen, we know how this game is, especially if you look at my career, especially I know how the ups and downs are. But mm -hmm. uh, listen, like you said, you felt great and you were doing great in that fight. I mean, you, the fight was yours. You were doing phenomenal. And that's what's yeah. so stress, stress, stressful for the uh, for the fighters, yeah. because you could be doing everything right, dotting your eyes, yeah. crossing your T's and training and on fight night, everything right. And again, just one zig when you should have yeah. zigged. That's that's the game yep. we play, and that's why everybody should be respected that steps into that cage. Because we, I, you know, we know what it's like. You know, one little wrong move, and it's you. You can sit there and look that's, for excuses yeah. all you want, but sometimes it's just one little wrong move, and that's that's we're only human. Yep. You know, that's right, exactly so, it. So you feel ready? <laughs> she feels. So you feel ready? Yeah, you I feel do. like an animal? Ready, She's like, I'm, I'm never <laughs> really as ready as I feel when it. Like I still feel like I won't feel ready till it's fight night. You know, and I never really. I feel like it's go time until it's the actual time. So. Do you sleep the night before? I'm always like, I'm such a shit sleeper. Like I tossed and turned last night and I'm always amazed when somebody has to fight. If you can actually, there's, there's people that will actually sleep in the, uh, the dressing room. That's I've heard normal. before they yeah. go out. Yeah, that's normal. That's incomprehensible yeah. to me. I can't, I can't sleep on a king bed, much less <laughs> right before I get hit. So, so you actually yeah. can do that. I'm a good sleeper. Uh, the night before a fight, it might take me a little longer to fall asleep. But I can usually fall asleep within five minutes. Maybe it'll take me ten. So that's about as as, as hard as it gets for me. I, I don't really have a hard time sleeping. I even nap the day of the fight for no more than an hour. I don't ever want to be groggy, but I always give myself a little 
little power nap the day of a fight. And did you watch? I'm sure you did watch the uh, the Misha Amanda fight. Mm-hmm. And what what do you think that Misha? She seemed very very out of sorts. You know, I, I guess I didn't really put a lot of expectation or thought into it. I just kind of going into the fight. If people ask me what I thought, I said, "Well, if Amanda wins, it's going to be in the first round or two. If Misha wins, it'll be past that." Um, I, felt I did similar. think that it would last longer than it lasted, but um, I guess the biggest thing for me is I just. You know, I wish that was me. I wish that was what I did when I fought Misha, but um, what can you do? And I'm, you know, really no emotion on it one way or the other with who won the fight. I'm usually just into my own fight. I want to win when I, when I get in there. And, you know, I was kind of watching just even this as a spectator. I just wanted to see how, how it happened, how it panned out. But every fight's different. Every match, it makes a difference. So we'll see what happens from here. Are you secretly happy though? Like, if I'm watching, like, I, 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 like you know, I'm a Yankee fan, and if the Yankees get knocked out of the playoffs, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs, I want them to lose immediately because I want them to feel no joy either because they yeah. brought me such a shitty feeling. So when you fight somebody and she beats you, do, do you like good? I want her to feel as lousy as I do. So I hope the next fight she loses. You must be kind of secretly happy. So I am kind of the opposite. If somebody beats me. I don't want them to ever lose again because if somebody beats me, it better be because they're just that awesome, you know? Oh, okay. I don't want them to get beat by someone else. I want to be the one that does the beating. So, I don't know, I guess I just didn't have a lot of emotion about it because I wasn't the one fighting. If I was the one fighting, then yes, I'd be. But I want to be the one that wins, and I wish that that would have been me to do that to Misha. I, I guess, yes, I want her to feel that loss, but I wanted it to be by me. <laughs> so so you want her to win until you fight her again, because then yeah. theoretically you're just, you're avenging something. Right. All right, well, it's this Saturday night. Um, you're you're facing Valentina Shevchenko. She's 12-2, and two, you're 10-1. and one. Um, Good luck. It's in uh, Chicago, UFC on Fox. Thank you. And um, you know, you I, I really hope that you win, because I really would love to see uh, you and... Uh, and Ronda fight again. I'd love to see you and Misha fight again. Awesome. Thank you. Really, I really looking it. forward to it. Really looking forward to this fight, Thank Holly. You. And thanks so much. And we're, we're, we promise not to uh, surprise you and creep up on you next time we see you in public. I can't speak for Jimmy, but I promise I won't. <laughs> yeah, I'm just creepy by nature, but I'll try to at least wave to give you advance warning that I'm approaching. <laughs> if I looked lost for a minute... That's just because I was out of it. <laughs> nah, nah, it was all us, all our bad. But listen, uh, you versus Valentina, I cannot wait. I'm so psyched, and uh, best of luck. Okay? Thanks so much. All right, Holly, Thanks. take care. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, she's, I, I like her very much. Oh, and, she's uh, so lovely. And she's so nice. She's such a nice person. That's why when we like surprised her that day, I'm like, man, Jimmy, I blamed you because I feel like she knew me. And then I think we surprised her. And I think that she thought I was going to help escorting a crazy fan. Did you know her before that? I I'd interviewed I interviewed her and Misha together. Oh, then what am I talking about? No, but she. <laughs> Maybe I, I creeped her out. No, 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 I'm like a baby hen. Like I just creep. <laughs> There's something about me that I approach on two legs. This. You remember when we, she looked surprised. Of course I know. She was like, oh, I know you. Like she didn't realize she knew me. Did you? I know. At first, she, I think she thought we were cutting the line to get a picture with her. Yeah. No? No, no, I think you're correct. <laughs> I just say hello, and I, I hope people write. I remember walking away saying, oh, man, I, I, I always was had such nice, pleasant, like, hello and goodbyes with her. Now I think she, we just, like, like I don't know, snuck up on her. But she's so sweet. Dude, I have low radio self-esteem. Like, I never think people remember me. I've interviewed so many people, and then you see them again. And they're like, what? Like, uh, we, we told the story. <laughs> we interviewed Roger Daltrey uh, one day. Yeah. And then, you know, Opie saw Roger Daltrey probably... 
20 minutes later in the park and Roger Daltrey had no memory of him. I've had wow. that where I've interviewed somebody and then I've seen them in a fucking hallway outside. I'm like, all right, man. They're like, okay. And they just keep walking. And they give you like that I'm weird some fucking TMZ reporter. It's like, hey, shithead, I just talked to exactly. you for an hour. <laughs> exactly. Fucking hate everyone. <laughs> but she's not like that at all. She is actually so awesome. She's very and, sweet. Uh, and she's such a warrior. I love the the humble warriors. You yeah. know, I like them when they're such, they're so bad. And she's so badass, man. Yep. Like I said, man, I've seen some of her boxing matches and She's just man, she, and 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 this Valentina, holy shit, man! I was watching a fight with the with uh, with Amanda uh, Nunes, Nunes, yeah, and it was it was a good fight, and like she said, if it was a five round fight, it might be a different result. So uh, that fight this weekend on Fox Saturday night uh, is going to be phenomenal, and I'm looking forward to it. Wow! By the way, we didn't even mention Mark Hunt wants Brock's money. He wants Brock's money well, from 200 because they he got, got to caught the, doping. They really got to get to the bottom of that, man, because if he was juiced, I don't, I don't, what, what, what do we know? Do we know that he just failed the test? Yeah, he, uh, it was, an, it was not a competition test on June 28th. And what was it? What did he He was failed, tested eight know? times in the month leading up. And, and I think uh, he five, five in the first two weeks. And I think he had done, uh, he passed all of them. So um, he passed multiple tests and I do not know what it came positive. It was a prohibited agent is all they're saying. Yeah. I, I don't see. know what it came back positive for. Um, and uh, Fabio Maldonado was notified by the World MMA Association. His majority decision lost to uh, Fedor. It was on June the 17th. It's going to be overturned um, to a draw. Why is that now? On two camp- well, uh, Maldonado had argued that Fedor, uh, because he's the president of the Russian MMA union, was participating in a fight regulated by that same union, I guess he was saying. Holy shit. Wasn't so that, that's- I don't know. Um wow. But it, it, the union assigned the judges, and I thought that Maldonado clearly won that fight. Wow! I thought that was a shitty decision. I thought it made Fedor look terrible. Um, you know, I think Fedor. You know, if he's going to win, he should win. And if he loses, yeah. he's a tough motherfucker. Uh, you know, I don't think you get a complaint out of him. I don't think he's the guy to blame. But well, they I don't just know. Love, oh, why? Well, you, well, I mean, what him? You think he went to the judges and said you're next? No, no, no. I, I don't think it's ever. You know, but he he couldn't have felt good about. No, that. I'm no, I'm not saying he felt Fabio good about it. I was killing. Him. I'm just saying that's just oh, what was he supposed to do? Be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll give it to you. <laughs> it's the fucking it's whoever's the judges. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. man, they're, they're to blame. But uh, wow, what a what a phenomenal show today. Yeah, DMC was great. He's <laughs> one of my favorite interviews because the guy is just open and really honest, yeah. and he talks about suicide and, and depression and sadness and alcoholism, like all these things that you a lot of times don't hear. You know, quote unquote, like rappers or these yeah, like these exactly. guys that are uh, tough guys, tough or, guys talking you about you know a guy with his uh, persona, and now he's saying that you know what therapy basically saved his life and, and made him come, up, like, come out with this book and and uh, found some solutions for him and, and gave yeah. him peace, which he did not have in a long time. So that book, uh, the, what's it again? What, really quick, it's called uh, Ten Ways. Not to, to commit suicide. <laughs> they, you know, by Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC. See, when a guy like me talks about suicide, people are like, do it. <laughs> do it. Quickly! The, quickly, Pyle! Quickly! Do you want the sharp knife? <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be in uh, tomorrow. I, mean, I keep forgetting to plug my gigs. Good. Thursday night, I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio, doing the Capitol Theater. And then I am going to be the following night, uh, Gathering of the Juggalos. I have Minneapolis coming up. I have... Uh, somewhere else that I just canceled and I don't remember where the fuck it is. I have, Oh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, in December and Toronto in December and Montreal coming up. Just go to jimnorton.com and get all my dates. And uh, Matt, uh, I think this was a fun uh, one. Listen, man, uh, so, how's my eye look? Do I look tough? You look great. You look a little bit blackened up. Uh, you know, yeah. thank you. Uh, that's because I'm teaching... Uh, 
jujitsu at sarahbjj.com. Come visit me on Long Island if you're out there, people. When I'm not with Jimmy and when I'm not on the road with Dana White looking for a fight that you can see on YouTube or UFC Fight Pass, I am at my school, Sarah Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, teaching arm locks and having a good time. Jimmy, yeah. great time today, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm really gonna, fun, uh, man. You know, and uh, I can't wait to do this again. Me neither, buddy. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Streaming May 23rd only on BET Plus. Miss Pat is back. I'm excited. <laughs> and it's time for some grown ass family time. I am a man. Oh, you a man? That's right. Then take my clothes off. You ain't pay for none of that on your back. <laughs> you can't ignore your mother forever. I've tried. Would you like me to backhand you again? The Miss Pat Show. Streaming May 23rd on BET Plus. <laughs> to sign up and learn more, visit BET.plus. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.